You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. that in light of the Lent season uh, just around the corner, um, I'm going to take a break from the Preach the Gospel series that we've been in, and uh, we're going to look at Matthew 16 at really one of the big themes of Lent, which, wait for it, is everybody's favorite subject, denying yourself. So, all right, welcome. Glad you're able to be here today. Everybody as excited as I am? Okay, uh, for the four of you, I'm glad you will be excited. You might not be at the end of the message, so we'll see. Um, let's stand together, though. We're going to read Matthew 16. Verse 21 through verse 27, I want to remind you that uh, the notes for the sermon are on the YouVersion Bible app. If that interests you, you can grab those. So Matthew 16, verse 21 through verse 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it? Or what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone gain in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I do thank you so much for those listening online, for those who are here. We thank you for giving us the scriptures, for giving us your word to us, to help us not only just navigate life, but just to have a deeper relationship with you, which we know is where ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction comes from. I thank you for the time we've already had, and right now I just pray that just a blessing over the preaching of your word. God, I confess, I know that you know that I know this, but I just want to say it again, I, I know there's nothing in me right now that can possibly transform lives, that can possibly help people, and so I just pray, I'm, I'm, I need your help, Holy Spirit. Would you please speak through me? And right now, in the hearts of those who are listening, would you soften the heart to receive whatever you have for them? If there's something I'm going to say, they don't need to receive it, then I just pray they don't receive it. But if there's something that that they need to hear, that needs to be applied to their life, would you just, Holy Spirit, graciously and gently apply it there so that it can produce an abundance of fruit for their good, for the good of our world, and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. On the screen in front of you, is one of the Crossing's best members, uh, Marlon Dixon, who is literally carrying his cross. Uh, now, this uh, picture, he's following uh, Chris, not Christ. Um, and that is because Marlon has been working on this cross, which um, at some point we're going to have hanging up on this wall behind me. And when you think about the cross, I think for most of us, we think of a decorative piece like this. We think of maybe some art or uh, jewelry. Uh, We think of maybe a logo. 
But for those in Jesus' day, uh, the cross was a symbol that meant something much, much different than it does to us. In fact, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, the cross um, and the crucifixion had been around for hundreds of years. It had been perfected by the Roman Empire and their aid for, uh, to basically dominate the world. And if you know anything about death via crucifixion, you know that it was not only the most painful way to die, but it was also the most shameful way that someone could die. It was excruciating. That's literally what the word excruciating means, by the way. It means from out of the cross. It was an excruciating death, and it was a humiliating death. It was a slow, agonizing death where you would literally, the way you would die is you would suffocate in your own blood as people passing by would mock you, belittle you, and spit at you. Needless to say, uh, unlike for many of us, the cross in Jesus' day was a horrific image. Like it was a symbol of torture and execution that was only reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. And yet think about this. It is this symbol that Jesus chose to remind us not only of what he's done for us, but now what he's calling us to do for him. Which again is, quote, to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. What could that possibly mean? Well, I'll say this. In a culture of instant gratification, Uh, in a culture that I think is just built on self-entitlement, this is a message, let's be honest, that to our world is at best weird and at worst just downright dangerous. Um, Whether it is Woody Allen, if you remember whenever he was trying to justify the affair he had with his own stepdaughter when he said, hey, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Or the postmodern propaganda that's out there right now, just be true to yourself. Like, you just do you. Right? We now find ourselves living in a society that believes the ultimate sin is to not follow your heart. Uh, my wife and I have been really big into the show 1883. Anybody else in here like 1883? Okay, awesome. Um, it's a prequel to Yellowstone, which we've not watched. I've heard I shouldn't watch it as a pastor, but anyways, um, we like 1883, okay? And um, there's a scene where obviously it's set in the 1800s, and here is Margaret, you see, driving the, the little carriage, and, and, and she's played by Faith Hill, does a great job, and this is her daughter, Elsa, and then there's a scene where Elsa meets this cute cowboy. What was his name again? Ennis? Is that his name? Meets this cute cowboy, and like within two days, she's like, I love him, mama, and like, I love him, I know I do, and I want to sleep with him. And I mean, she, it's a little bit, said a little bit different than that, but that's basically what she's saying. And you're waiting for like mama to like set her straight and be like, girl, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like you're going to ruin your life. But instead in this like heart to heart conversation, the music playing, she looks and she says, baby girl, you just need to follow your heart. In other words, just, just do whatever feels right to you, which of course she does. She goes and she does what feels right to her. She sleeps with her boyfriend and like within like a day after that, her whole life like unravels. Um, and I won't give any spoiler alerts. You can go watch it for yourself. But, but isn't this the message that we are bombarded with every single day? Like whether it's in a show or a movie or a book or social media, here's the message. Just follow your heart. Like, like just do what feels good for you. Robert C. Roberts, who's a professor and a psychologist from Harvard, he says this. In our culture, we have been led to believe that the self is sacrosanct, meaning that it's so important like, you shouldn't mess with me. Like, who are you to ever get in the way of what I want? That's what he means uh, there by the word sacrosanct. Just as in earlier times, it was thought never fitting to deny God. Now in our culture, it feels right to never deny oneself. 
Put another way, because we're living in this hyper-consumeristic culture that is built on speed, like this Amazon Prime culture, which, by the way, has anybody else's packages been delayed recently on Amazon Prime? Anybody else? Yeah, if you're like me, it's like four days. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I don't got four days. Like, and I'm a Prime member. It's like, like in, a, in, a, in a culture like that, whether you realize it or not, we have been hardwired to believe that happiness is found in getting whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And if that's where you are this morning, listen, no condemnation for me, but you just need to know, according to the scriptures, that's not at all the way of Jesus. And therefore, if you choose to live this way, you're actually going to miss out on the life that you're longing to have. And with that in mind, I want to look back at Matthew 16. Just let me set the context for you. Um, Jesus has just, in the previous verses, told his disciples that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that their grandpa's been talking about, grandma's been talking about, prophets have been pointing towards. Like he's the one who's going to usher in the kingdom of God. And if you're a good Jew, I mean, you've been waiting on pins and needles for this moment because in your mind, here's what you're thinking, right? Like forget that you know the scriptures, the New Testament, like you don't have that. Here's what you're thinking is when Jesus comes or when the Messiah comes, he is going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to conquer our enemies. He's going to free us from the oppression we've been living in. And finally, we as Israelites are going to get put at the top of the food chain again. But that's what's think, that's their thinking in their minds. So Jesus says, hey, I'm the Messiah. But then, hey, before you get too excited, let me tell you what kind of Messiah I actually am. Let me tell you what I've come to do. Verse 21, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, again, if you are a good Jewish boy or a good Jewish girl, this is not what you want to hear from your Messiah. It's not what you want to hear your savior, your hero say. I mean, like, like the anointed one, the Messiah, at least as far as what you're thinking, He hasn't come to be conquered. He's come to conquer. Like he's not come to be killed. He's come to kill, right? To bring blood, to bring a reckoning. Like that's what he is here to do. And so Peter, in in good Peter fashion, he hears this. and, And the guy just can't keep his mouth shut. In verse 22, it says, Jesus, or Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Is that not wild? Like Peter, think about this pulls the son of God aside, is like, let me tell you how this should actually work, Jesus, in case you're looking for my input. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In other words, like, you shall never suffer, you shall never die. Now, on the surface, it seems like Peter's just being a concerned friend, doesn't it? I don't want you to suffer, I don't want you to die. Like, he's just being a nice guy. But in reality, as you dig deeper, and Jesus actually reveals this later in the story, we'll get to it, Peter with his other disciples have a vested interest here. Like, sure, they don't want anything bad to happen to Jesus, but they also don't want anything bad to happen to them. And so Peter is doing the math in his head. It just comes out of his mouth before he can just like actually think about it. He's doing the math in his head and he's thinking, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're the Messiah and you're going to die and I'm in your inner group, what's going to happen to me? So he, he's thinking about this, right? Like, like man, like if you're going to die, that means that, that I might die. And so this is, this is shattering, right, their expectations, right? They're thinking Jesus has come to overthrow the Romans. They're expecting that Jesus is going to become not just the king of Jerusalem, but the king of the world, which means if you're in his policy, like, man, I'm going to have some nice perks. Like, if he's going to be, like, president of the world, like, I might be, like, vice president or secretary of state or something cool, right? Like, 
That's what they're thinking, yet Jesus says, I'm not that kind of Messiah. He says, there's coming a day where I'm going to allow myself to be delivered to my oppressors so that they can kill me. And he says, yeah, there's going to be blood, there's going to be brutality, but not because I'm launching a military campaign, but because I'm going to be nailed to a cross. Despite the fact that Jesus says that he's going to be raised on a third day, Peter can't get past this, and so it says he begins to rebuke Jesus. The word for rebuke there is a a very emotive word. It's it's an electrically charged word. Uh, It's really a word that, that, that communicates a verbal form of violence. So Peter's freaking out. He's raging here on the Son of God, on the Messiah. And as he's rebuking Jesus, Jesus says to him in verse 23, get behind me, Satan. At the top of the list of things you don't want to hear from Jesus, this might be number one. Get behind me, Satan. What exactly is Jesus saying here? Well, I think there's a couple different layers to this. But one, I think he's saying, Peter, you're out of position. You're supposed to be behind me, and you're trying to get out in front of me. You're trying to lead this thing. You're trying to call the shots, and you think you know what's best, and you don't. You do not know what's best. In fact, you're actually being used by Satan. And so just as Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, we see now Satan using Peter to tempt Jesus in the exact same way in Matthew 16. And in essence, what is the temptation that Satan keeps trying to tempt Jesus with? Well, it's this. It's to embrace his comfort over the cross. That's the temptation. To take the path of least resistance to reject the hard way, to walk the broad path that Jesus tells us leads to destruction rather than the narrow and difficult path that in the end leads to life. And the reason you need to hear that is because that is the temptation that Satan is trying to throw in front of you every single day to take the easy way out. If it looks good, if it feels good, if it smells good, if it tastes good, go for it. Throw off all restraints. Because the devil knows that we cannot achieve a higher level of spirituality or a deeper level of spirituality without suffering because he knows the only way to experience life, true life, is through death. He is constantly, listen guys, trying to sell us on a resurrection without a cross. To sell us on a shortcut that in the end will not lead you into everlasting life. Peter says to Jesus, you can't suffer. You can't die. And Jesus says to him, you are a stumbling block to me. The word, or the name Peter, which Jesus gave him, is originally Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter. The the name Peter literally means rock. But here, Jesus says, you're not being a rock, you're being a stumbling block. And this has been very sobering for me, because here's what this means, guys. You can be a great spiritual leader, and Peter was a great spiritual leader. I mean, he was the leader of the early church. You could be a great spiritual leader. You can have good theology. You can even be walking close to Jesus. And still have moments of weakness where you act more like Satan than you do like Christ. Peter wants to avoid death. He wants an easy life, a comfortable life. He doesn't want the cross. And so Jesus says to him, quote, Peter, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of man. Put another way, what Jesus is saying here is this, Peter You don't think the way God thinks. You don't feel in this moment the way God feels. You don't see the world the way God sees the world. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this. He says that Jesus says to Peter, you have no idea how God works. It's pretty blunt, but if I can be honest, Jesus has probably said the same things to Jerry Pickney many times. 
whenever I've prayed for things that I just think I need or I want things. And man, if, I could, if God would just do this and everything. And I think there's many times she's just like, man, and gently, but you just don't know how God works. You don't know as much, Jared, as you think that you know. And you see, because Jesus knows this is true, not just of Jared Pickney, not just of Peter, but of all of us, he takes a moment to teach us how God works. And this is something that would have rocked the disciples to the core. This is a draw a line in the sand moment where Jesus looks at them in verse 24 and he says, hey, you want to be my disciples? Look at this, verse 24. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple? That's an interesting line, isn't it? Literally, Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, wait a minute, I thought we were your disciples. We left everything to follow you. Yeah, but this isn't just a one-time decision. To follow Jesus is a continual daily decision where you have to count the cost and decide, do I, continue want to, do I continually want to follow him? Jesus right here is saying, I want you to count the cost. If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, let me tell you what it does not mean. To deny yourself does not mean you deny your personality. It doesn't mean you deny your Myers-Briggs type or your Enneagram type or whatever your favorite personality test is. Like, it doesn't mean that. It also doesn't mean that you deny your limits. It doesn't mean that you never say no. There were times even Jesus said no to things. It does not mean that you say no to everything that is fun. Uh, Jesus wants us to have pleasure. It doesn't mean that we deny the good gifts that God wants to bless us with. So it doesn't mean that, but what does it mean? Well, simply put, to deny your flesh or deny yourself means to deny your flesh. That's what the Bible refers to as this, this sinful part of you, this part of you that is bent in away from God and towards yourself, this part of you that says, I want to do what I do, not out of a love for God and a love for others, but out of a love for the world. Or in the words of Jesus to Peter, it's the part of you that is more concerned about the things of man than the things of God. And just so you know, this is a part in every single one of us in here, including me. Even if you have the spirit of God, you still have this part of you known as the flesh. This part of you that's still a little bent in the wrong direction. And what Jesus said is that's the part that you're going to have to deny over and over and over and over and day after day after day after day. And let me tell you from personal experience, if you do this, do you know what that will feel like? Death. It won't be fun. It will feel like a death. And this is why Jesus goes on to say, if you want to be my disciple, you must do what? Pick up your cross, which to a first century Jew was a torture device that would kill you really good. That's what he's saying. Jesus could not be any more clear to those who are in the first century and to you and me. He's saying this, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to die. So welcome, everybody. Good to see you. How are we doing so far? Feeling good? Now, to the first century disciple, this meant physical death. And actually, it means a physical death for a lot of people in the world today. Did you know that people are still dying because they choose to follow Jesus? It's happened in the Middle East. It happens in Asia. Uh, I know pastors uh, of pastors in Ukraine right now, afraid for their own death of what's going to happen if they choose to continue to follow Jesus instead of kind of back down. Um. All of Jesus' disciples, except for one, would die because they chose to follow Jesus. Uh, Several of them were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down, church history tells us. 
So this was a physical death for them. For us, uh, you know, if the need should ever arise, I would hope we're willing to suffer the same uh, uh, fate in our devotion to Jesus. But I don't think for us, we have to worry about a physical death, but there is a metaphorical death. Whenever Jesus says that we are to pick up our cross, Dallas Willard says what Jesus is saying here is that we need to commit to a life of self-denial in an age of self-fulfillment. This is a call to live in such a way that you're willing to say no to a thousand things that everybody else in the world is saying yes to. To follow Jesus, guys, listen, it will cost you. Like you need to hear that. You need to feel that. This is going to cost you something. Despite what the American gospel tells you, like you're going to have to sacrifice some time. There, you'll have to sacrifice some money. Jesus will call you at times to sacrifice your sexuality, your preferences, your comfort, your illusion for control. Simply put, to take up your cross is to say to Jesus, whatever, whenever, wherever. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, and whenever you want me to do it, I will do it. Rather than just giving you my Sunday, I will give you my everyday. Rather than just giving you my afterlife, I will give you all of this life. I will refuse, unlike many people in our kind of cultural Christian moment, to say that Christianity is praying this prayer and then just kind of living however I want and trying to shove Jesus in the nooks and crannies of whatever left. No, instead, I'm going to bring all of my life under his lordship because that's what it means to follow Jesus to be his disciple. Jesus is looking for this kind of devotion. As we've said before, to be a disciple of Jesus is to reorient your entire life around three goals. Goal number one is this, be with Jesus. Goal number two, as a result, is to become like Jesus from the inside out. And goal number three is to do what he did so that you can increasingly see his kingdom come and his will be done. This is what it means, guys, to be a Christian. It's what it means to be a disciple. Please hear me what I am trying to explain to you this morning as as gently as I know how, but as honestly as I know how, what I'm trying to explain to you is not varsity level Christianity. This is baseline Christianity. Do you, is that, is that clear what I'm trying to say? Like I'm not, I'm not, this is not like, Hey, for the advanced class, like I'm, I'm treating y'all as advanced class. Like guys, like this is like entryway into life with Jesus. There's no other form. This is it. Again, in the words of Jesus, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And if we can be honest, for most people, that's too hard of an ask. That's too hard. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We know what Jesus is supposed to say here, right? He's supposed to say, do, you don't have to do anything. That's works righteousness. Like, just believe. Just pray this prayer, right? Like, trust in me and everything will be good to go. But that's not the way Jesus responds. What must I do to inherit eternal life, good teacher? And he says to him, obey the Ten Commandments. He's like, I've done that. Jesus doesn't argue it. And so then he says to him, go and sell all of you. owe. give your possessions to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. Then you can come follow me. And the very next line, it says that the man walked away sorrowful because he was very wealthy. In other words, this man had something that he loved more than he loved Jesus, and he refused to give it up in order to have Jesus. He clearly wanted the kingdom, but he didn't want the cross. He was not willing to deny himself. There was something between him and Jesus. For him, it was money. But the question is for us today, what is it for us? Like, is there anything? Like, this is, Lent is a time to bring this before God. Is there anything that has been between us and him? Again, for this man, the richer and ruler is money. Maybe for you, it's success or it's your career. It's a leisurely lifestyle. It's work. Maybe it's your, your own kids. 
Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's an image that you want to project of being successful or in control. I don't know what it may be for you, but there are some of you. Here's my guess, guys. My guess is in a room this size, and those maybe listening online, is there are many of you who believe in Jesus. Like, I highly doubt there's more than a handful of people in here who don't believe in Jesus. But what I'm willing to bet is that though there are many in here who believe in Jesus, you're living with a low-grade kind of unhappiness and discontentment. And part of that is because you just can't bring yourself to taking up your cross and following him. I think of the the knights from the uh, ninth century crusade. You guys remember us talking about this years ago, maybe if you were here, but before the knights would go into these crusades or into battle, they would be baptized in their entire armor, but they would hold their sword out above the water as if to say like, okay, I'll die to everything else, but Jesus, you can't have my sword. And it's easy to mock that. Like, yeah, what a bunch of idiots, right? Because most of us are like, I don't care about a sword. And if you are here and you're like, I'm willing to die for my sword, then like, don't invite me over your house because like, that would be, I don't know, maybe you care too much about swords, but uh, most of us don't care about swords, right? But here's the deal. Like, even though we wouldn't hold a sword out of the baptismal waters, I think there are some of us that are holding a wallet out of it. Or we're holding bitterness out of it. We're saying, Jesus, you can have everything else, but you cannot have this. There are things we're holding out. Maybe it's our kids. Maybe it's our sexuality. Maybe it's our house. Maybe it's our schedule. I talked to someone this past week in the church. They're like, I'll give up anything. I got money, psh, no problem. But like my, you start messing with my schedule? My, my time, my free time. Like, like, yeah, that's whenever it gets hard. Like, there's so many things. I think if we're honest that we're holding out, we're saying, Jesus, I'll give you all of that, but I refuse to give you this. And, you know, one of the reasons I think that is, is, guys, honestly, like, I think we believe, like, of course God would ask people in two-thirds of the world to give up something, but the hidden heresy in the American Gospels, Jesus would never ask us to do that. Of course he would ask people in Ukraine to stay in their churches despite war and to continue to preach the gospel. But he wouldn't ask us to do that because, by God, we're Americans. He would never ask us to deny ourselves, would he? This is such a temptation for us, guys. It's such a temptation for me. Like, I am right here with y'all. Like, if I can be honest, like, Jared Pickney wants the best of both worlds. I really do. I want to be really generous, and I want to be really rich. Um, I want to be a man of character and integrity, but I do not want to suffer, which is often how you get character and integrity. Um, I want to be humble, but I do not want to be humiliated. Uh, I want to be patient, but I do not want to wait. On any of you, right? Um, I want to be kind, but I don't want people in my life or in my missional community that agitates me. I want to hear the voice of God, but I do not want to sit still. I want so bad the life of Jesus, but I don't want to take up the cross of Jesus. And because... Jesus is so good and so gracious because he knows this is a temptation, not just for me, but for all of us. Look what he says next. He doesn't have to say this, but he just wants us to know, like, if we give up what we're getting in return. He says in verse 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Guys, that's a promise. Not might find it, not could find it, not should find it, will find it. Verse 26 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We are paralyzed by our options, aren't we? Like we look out, we have so many options in our country. But really there's just two options, Jesus says, and here they are. Here's your two options. Deny yourself and follow me or deny me and follow yourself. And here's the result. There's only two kind of outcomes. You can either find your life or you'll lose your life. I love how John Mark Comer breaks this down. I'll put this on the screen for you. He says there's just two options. Option A is deny Jesus and follow yourself. And here's what happens, guys. Listen to that. I don't have to make this stuff up. Like, you know it's true if you've been there. Deny Jesus and follow yourself, and here's what's happened. You will absolutely live an unsatisfied life. It's Ecclesiastes. Remember, we went through a whole series of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was richer. He was more educated. He had more sex. He had more everything than you could ever imagine. And yet he looked back at all of it, and he said, it didn't satisfy me. It didn't do it. He said, I got to the top of the mountain. And you know what was there? He said, let me just save you the, the fight, because most likely you won't get to the top of the mountain. But if you do, let me tell you what's there. It's all hevel. It's a chasing after the wind. It's vanity. It will not give you what you think that it will. A life apart from Jesus will leave you unsatisfied. I just finished a memoir by Hunter Biden. I'm a sucker for memoirs, by the way. So if anybody has a good memoir that you want to recommend, I'll take it. Uh, Hunter Biden, president or uh, son of President Joe Biden. Uh, and so this is a guy who has power. He has prestige. Good looking dude. Uh, he like, graduated from Harvard or Yale, Ivy League. I mean, he has it all, right? And so his book is really a book about addiction and what it's like to fight addiction. And he talks about how he used all of his resources to basically live a life of hedonism where he just didn't really deny himself of his own pleasures, just kind of did whatever he wanted. And quote, here's what he says uh, at the end of his book. He said, the lesson I learned is, quote, it's unimaginably awful. And then he says it again, unimaginably awful. I don't know if he's a Christian guy. He's just saying, here's my experience of what happens whenever I refuse to deny myself. Um, if you choose to deny Jesus and follow self, you will become unsatisfied. You will be disintegrated. What that means is that you'll begin to fall apart. You'll begin to be very anxious, very depressed. Uh, M. Scott Peck, who is a brilliant, uh, brilliant mind, he actually is a professor at Harvard, uh, wrote a, a book called The Road Less Traveled, a fantastic read. Here's what he says. The tendency to avoid problems and the emotional suffering inherent to them is the primary basis for all human mental illness. You don't have to believe that, but again, I don't know if this guy's a Christian, but this is his thought process. I'll say that again. The tendency to avoid problems and the emotional suffering inherent in them is the primary basis for all human mental illness. What he's saying is this, is that when you refuse to deny yourself, when you refuse to take the narrow path, when you refuse to take the road less traveled and just say, I'm going to do the easiest thing I possibly can do to pursue my desires, do what I want when I want, he says, you will begin to become disintegrated. You will begin to fall apart. And then lastly, you know what happens when you refuse to deny uh, yourself is you become a slave to your desires. And so this is where addiction comes from. Like you cannot stop even if you wanted to stop. So that's option A, but then option B is this. You deny self and follow Jesus. And listen, over time, guys, and I know some of you do not believe this because I didn't believe it because I used to sit in these seats and listen to people preach and I did not believe this. But if you will follow Jesus, you will be satisfied. Over time, you will increasingly become satisfied. You remember Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd Therefore, I shall not want. I lack nothing. I have everything I need because I have him. 
the more you follow Jesus, the deeper you get in your relationship with him, the more you're willing to deny yourself and trust him, the more satisfied you become, the more integrated you become. That means your life becomes harmonious. You're unified with God, heart, mind, body. It's all in line with him. And you become free from the domination of want, which means this. Please hear me. The culture says that freedom is doing whatever I want. The Bible says freedom is the ability to not do whatever you want. That's freedom. You're not controlled by your desires anymore. You're able to choose to do the right thing and the hard thing, even if it's not in that moment necessarily what you want to do. That's where freedom comes from. And if this is not enough motivation for you, look what Jesus says, and this is the last verse we'll look at and we'll be done. Verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then, look at this, guys, he will reward Or if you have the ESV, it says, he will repay each of you according to what you have done. My guess is today, most of us don't like the idea of Jesus watching your every move and then rewarding you for your actions. My guess is most of us aren't too thrilled about that. But this is actually a beautiful, beautiful theology. Because you know what it means? It means that how we live actually matters. It means that the sacrifice that you're making, even with no one else's watching, actually matters. That one day you're going to be rewarded for that. I was thinking this morning about when I was 12 years old, one of the greatest memories of my life was I I won the MVP of the 12-year-old City Baseball League. And then when I was 18, another good memory I had is at the Paragold Sports Banquet. I won the MVP of our tennis team. Greatest sport out there. And it was a wonderful moment. Because there's this moment where I'm getting a reward, and I was like, oh, the sacrifice is worth it. Like, it paid off. And as I started thinking about that this morning, I thought, you know, according to the scriptures, not according to Jerry, but according to the scriptures, there is an award banquet for every follower of Jesus that's coming. I'm not saying your good works get you into heaven. It's the work of Jesus alone that gets you into heaven. But you will receive rewards based off of your good works. That is clear in the scripture. And so listen, I just want to say again, man, like if you're about to tap out because nobody else sees you doing your good stuff or no one else is tap, you know, patting you on the back, man, don't quit. Like Jesus sees you. Like Jesus cares. Like whether you're a stay-at-home mom or, or you're working in a factory or whatever it is that you're doing, like Jesus sees your good works. And therefore, in the words of the Apostle Paul, do not grow weary in doing good. Guys, reject the path of least resistance. Keep your eye on the horizon. Live with the end in mind and know that if you choose to continue to deny yourself and to follow Jesus, in the end, you will find true life. And whether it's in this life or the next, you will be rewarded for doing the works that Jesus has laid on your hands to do. To end, I'll quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi movement. Whenever it was at its height, and the German church, or the, the yeah, the church in Germany was was tempted to uh, compromise. They were tempted to just kind of give in because they were living in fear of what the Nazis were going to do. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book *The Cost of Discipleship*, said the following: "When God calls a man, He bids him to come and die. This is how you enter into the kingdom of God. This is the first step." into a relationship with Jesus. It's a death to self. And let me just tell you, if you choose to continue to follow Jesus, it will be a thousand small deaths to self. But in the end, according to Christ, it's going to lead you into one massive life. I wonder today, do you really believe that? 
Do you believe that? That the call to follow Jesus is a call to die, but if you will continue to take those small steps to death, it will, or to self, it will lead you into one massive life. This is the call from Christ, and to help us get there, I really want to encourage you, as I did at the beginning of the sermon, to practice Lent with us this year. Again, I know this is new to the crossing. It's, uh, it's not new, again, to Christians all over the world, though. We've been doing it for centuries. And so what I want to encourage you, a lot of the message, and a lot of this idea of denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following Jesus, two things, and we'll be done, is one, please come to the Ash Wednesday service. If you can be here for that, 615 We'll focus specifically on the cross and what Jesus has done for us and what it means to pick up our own cross. And then secondly, observe Lent. And to observe Lent, again, to be very clear, is just two things. Give something up and take something on. Give something up, take something on. Uh, For me, I've chosen this year uh, to give up added sugar, not just like, not fruits and stuff. I'm not going to go crazy, right? Honey, I'll still be like, you know, down in the honey, things like that. That's natural. Uh, But I'm going to give up added sugar. I thought about giving up speeding, uh, but then I thought, you know, like, that's probably, that's kind of cheating, right? It's like, I probably should just do that anyway. Um, but if you want to give it speeding, that's fine, right? I can slow you down, right? Uh, ruthless elimination of hurry. And so, um, but there's all kinds of things you can give up. It, it's just the point is, whether it's, you know, TV or smoking or fast food or social media or I don't know what it may be. There's a, there's a long list shopping, you know, during that 40-day period. Just choose something that's going to be somewhat of a challenge for you that's going to remind you of your need for Jesus, okay? And then take something on. And so that's why we've sent out these Lenten devotionals. You've hopefully gotten them in your email or via text. If you haven't gotten those, you want to know about them. They're just basically devotions that are designed to help you specifically focus on Christ and his cross and his suffering and all that during the Lenten season. And before we end, let me just say this. The reason this is so important, please hear me, guys. I'm almost done. I appreciate your patience. The reason it is so important we practice Lent, the reason we practice Lent, please hear me, it's not to punish ourselves. That is not the point. Like Jesus took our punishment at the cross. This is not about punishing yourself, right? But it is about, in the words of the Apostle Paul in the Philippians 3, it is about sharing in Jesus' suffering and becoming like him in his death so that you can then know the power of his resurrection, if you want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus, you've got to learn to die to yourself. That's, there's no other way, and Lent helps us do that. Secondly, I think the reason Lent is so important that we practice is if you're like, why in the world would I intentionally try to pursue death? Why would I intentionally try to pursue suffering? Because, please hear me, life is filled with suffering and death, and most of the time it comes to you in ways that you don't ask for it and you don't want it. And what Lent does is it helps us in a controlled and safe environment practice suffering, practice death in a way that prepares us for much greater suffering or greater death later on in life. And so to pursue Lent, it's a very non-American idea, very non-American. That's why we've never done it. But to pursue Lent is to pursue a cross-centered life. And I'll say this, a cross-centered life is always a life marked by repentance. And that's a big part of Lent. And you know why it's a life marked by repentance because when you seek to live a cross-centered life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to realize just how bad you are at carrying your own cross. If you've not already realized that, you're going to realize just how bad you are at carrying your own cross. And this is why when we enter into Lent and just the whole Christian life, when we look at the cross, we don't just remember what, uh, we don't just remember that, that the cross is an example of what we are to do, but it's also a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. 
So the cross is not just an example. The cross is where we get salvation. The cross is where we run to and we look and we remember that because we always give into our flesh that Jesus had to become flesh and then he lived a perfect sinless life. Though he was tempted in every way that you were tempted, he never once gave into it. And then he went to the cross and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins so we can now stand before God holy and blameless and accepted and know that we will never, ever, ever be separated from the love that he has poured out for us. And so, yes, this is a time where we want to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, but it's also a time where we remember that we are really bad at picking up our cross and following Jesus. And therefore, we desperately need for him to pick up his cross for us. The truth is, even if if we get a lot better at this, we're never going to come to a place where we do not need the death of Christ on our behalf. And that's what I want us to remember as we come to communion today and as we remember, as we enter into this season. There are some of us here that we feel we are so bad that we can never enter into a relationship with Christ. And we need to remember the gospel. We need to remember what Christ has done. But then there are some of us, and this is probably the majority of us, who feel like we're so good that we've kind of come to a place where we've arrived. Like, I needed grace a lot five years ago. I really don't need it as much now anymore. And the truth is, we still need it just as much today as we did back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And that's why every single week we come here and we have a tangible reminder that we are so bad that it took the death of Christ on our behalf to make us right with God. And when we remember that, we don't have to walk out of here in shame or guilt. We know that Jesus has paid it all. He's covered it all. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, whether you're a member of our church or not, we encourage you, come and partake of this. Uh, if, you, if you don't feel comfortable taking the communion up here where we'll have someone with the gloves and a mask over it to you, tearing off the bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus on your behalf, dipping it in the juice, which represents his blood shed for you. If you don't feel comfortable getting it here, we have the cups in the back. You can grab those. But we encourage you, if you're a Christian, to participate in this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, If you're not a disciple of Jesus, rather than taking communion, receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. And if you want to know, like, what does that look like? Talk with someone who came with you. I know there's a lot of people in this church, man, like, they love Jesus. A lot of people in this church love Jesus. And and they're following Jesus. And they can help you with any questions you have. So if you want to ask someone around you, do that. But if you also want to come to me, I'll be up here and be happy to answer any questions you have or pray for you. If you would like me to do that. So with that, I'm going to invite those preparing communion to go ahead and come forward, if you will. And uh, those in the band, you can come forward and get ready to lead us in one final song. And then as they're doing that, I just want to pray over us. And then we will uh, stand and we'll sing and we'll take communion as you're ready. Let's pray together. And Father, I know that in a message like this, at least it's the way I feel right now, is that there can be a heaviness to it. Um, there's a reason why, Jesus, I know that people would at times walk away from you sad because this is a big ask. You are calling us to come and die. But you're calling us to come and die so that we can experience true life in you, the life that we are longing for. And I pray that, Jesus, for each person here listening online, that we would do an honest assessment of our lives before we take communion, that we would honestly ask ourselves if there's an area where we know you're calling us to let go of something but we refuse to let go of it if there's something that we're holding above the baptismal waters and i pray that jesus we would just begin to see that thing will never satisfy us it will never feel as good as it may be it will never be able to do for us what you can do for us and i pray that you would just therefore grant us faith this morning grant us repentance where we need that and just help lead us into a deeper life with you where we experience more of your grace more of your mercy more of your love And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.